Good morning, everybody. I am Pastor Lori, and I am excited to have you join us this morning as we continue in our series, Campfire Stories, where we're taking a look at the parables of Jesus by drawing on the feel of a good old campfire story, which are always told in such a way as to draw you into the story, making you feel like you know exactly where it's going, and then bam! It socks you in the face with a surprising twist. Through this series, we want to keep reminding you about the parables, some, some things about the parables that are important for you to know. The first one is the parables create parallels between something that's relatable to us, something that's understandable, and the kingdom of God. Jesus' parables are also given to us as something that we should work through, something we should wrestle with. Now, Jesus isn't giving these as just teaching illustrations per se. They are intended to be multi-layered and mysterious and even open-ended at times. They are intended to cause us to dig deeper into them, to find the multiple layers of meaning and interpretation. Along the way, along the series, we've also told you that the parables are universal and timeless in their truths, but that their content is very contextual for the first century Jewish audience who Jesus is telling them to. That's why he uses things like kings and farming and banquet, banquets as primary pieces of these parables. It's so his audience can easily be drawn into the story. These are things that his audience are very familiar with. Those things are reasonable and relatable to the listener of that day. And this is important for us to remember because if we read them outside of that context, we could easily risk misunderstanding the, par the parable. And the last reminder that we've been giving you during our series is that the parables are intentionally provocative. They are intended to provoke you in some way and to draw you in demanding a response from the reader, demanding a response from us. They aren't intended to be tame, feel-good stories. We've been telling you that if the parable you're reading doesn't provoke a response from you in some way, then you're probably missing its intent. You're probably misreading it. So, like a traditional campfire story, the parables use the unexpected to shock us and make us respond in some way. And we have a choice in our response. We can reject its challenge or we can sit with it and wrestle with it and ultimately be transformed by it. So, with those reminders in mind, Let's go ahead and jump in. The parable we're going to look at today is found in the scripture we heard read for us a few minutes ago, found in Luke chapter 14. The section of scripture we heard is often referred to as the parable of the great banquet. 
How many of you have heard this parable before, right? Most of us probably, if you've been around church for any length of time. And if I were to ask you what you have learned about it in church over the years, you might tell me that it's basically about the kingdom of God and how not everyone was invited uh, to be a part of God's kingdom at first, but, God, but that God through his son, Jesus, made a way for everyone to get an invitation to enter into his kingdom. Would that about sum up what most of us would say this parable what we have been taught this parable is about for most of us. Now, remember when we said that if you read a, a parable out of context, you actually uh, risk misunderstanding it, or at least, in this case, not fully understanding it. So let's take a minute and back up to the verses immediately preceding the verses we heard this morning to let them give us a little context for this story. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 14. I'm going to start with the very first verse. Verse one says this, one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees and the people were watching him closely. Okay. So Jesus has been invited into the leader of the Pharisees house for the Shabbat or Sabbath meal. And the text tells us that Jesus is being watched very closely by the Pharisees. Now, it would be customary in this culture at this time to invite a traveling teacher into the home of one of the Pharisees so that all of the Pharisees could chat with him, kind of feel him out, test his theology, and so on. So that's how we get here. And while the Pharisees are watching Jesus... Jesus is actually watching them. As they are getting seated for their meal, he watches them. Let's pick up in verse seven. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in, the, in front of all of the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So, Jesus has noticed that everyone is seating themselves according to their social rank, which is the custom for that time. That's, that's, what, that's how, they, how seating assignments are made at these kinds of, of banquets, but at these kinds of dinners. But then they start trying to jockey for a better position a closer seat to the head of the table as a public display of their honor. 
And Jesus is at this event and he's looking around and he's thinking, man, you guys are not getting it. This whole jockeying for position thing that you're doing, that's just, that's actually the opposite of what the true banquet at the king, of the kingdom of God will be like. But there's always going to be that one guy at the table, right? Let's, let's look at, at verse 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Basically, this guy listens to what Jesus says about who is invited and where you should be seated and what's the better placement for your seating about positioning yourself for the most gain. And this guy uh, responds by saying, ah, how blessed are those, meaning the selected few who get to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Can anyone else just imagine Jesus shaking his head and sighing right about now? No, because he's Jesus, right? He wouldn't do that. I would sigh, but Jesus, Jesus is Jesus. And instead of him saying, wow, this party really sucks and you all should be ashamed of yourselves. He instead responds by telling the story. Now let's revisit the verses that we heard read earlier this morning. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. So now we have a little more context for what Jesus is saying here. Jesus has been invited to a Sabbath meal with some of the area's leading Pharisees. He's been invited so that they can kind of scope him out to watch what he says and what he does. And as the guests are all getting seated for the meal, they start sorting themselves based on their social status. And well, let's be honest, their high view of themselves. Now, if we didn't read the first part, the verses preceding that parable, where Jesus is seeing the guests jockeying around for position, then we might miss reading this parable through the lens of status. We might read this parable and think that it's only about how we get to heaven. We might even try to figure out what it must take to miss getting invited. But the context of where Jesus is and what's happening around him is important here. 
Jesus is telling this parable about a great feast as a response to the guy who says, check us all out. This, this right here is what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus is saying, yeah, not really, dude. Not, not really. In fact, for Jesus, this room represents the opposite of the kingdom of God that he's been teaching about. But if Jesus had said that directly to the room, then probably everyone's defenses would have gone up. They probably wouldn't have listened and they might've even gotten kind of ticked. So instead, Jesus tells this provocative story and it kind of hits them and maybe, maybe it will start to change them. So on a very basic level, a takeaway from this parable is that if you don't want to come to the party, then you don't get to come to the party. But there's so much more happening here. The audience, Jesus, the time that he is in, they are living in this culture, this honor and shame culture, where if you throw a party, who is invited, who you invite is incredibly important. And even more important than that, who actually shows up to your party is incredibly important. This is a public banquet, a social statement for that time. And who gets invited is a really big deal. So to have all of the honored guests that have been, invi been invited in this parable decline or refuse to come, it is a mark of shame for the host. It's not like the host just sent out the invitation the day before and people already had plans that couldn't be changed. In this time, it would have been customary for the host to send the invitation out well in advance. Most of the details, in fact, would have been sent out early, but then on the day of the, of the party, of the banquet, a messenger would have been sent to every one of the guests' homes telling them that it's time to eat. The feast is ready. This party has been planned ahead of time and the guest list and the number of guests, in fact, has helped determine the other details of the party. For example, the seating arrangement or how much food to prepare. Are we killing a bird or a lamb or a fatted calf based on the number of people that are coming? And the guests from Jesus' parable are filled with some pretty lame excuses, in my opinion. I just bought a field and I have to go and see it. I just bought some oxen and I have to go and test them out. I, I just got married, so I can't come. Okay, can we talk for a second about the guy who buys a field and then goes to look at it? And the guy who buys a team of oxen and then goes to test them out to see if they're worth the money that he spent? This is ridiculous, right? Notice, I want you to notice that the dinner that Jesus is at, all of those guests showed up, right? But those guests think they deserve to be there. And the guests in Jesus' parable have all decided not to come thinking they have something that's more important to do than attend this banquet. And both groups are equally wrong. 
There is a connection between both groups. You have the group, the group who don't want to show up. It's their view of what's really important or valuable to them. Their pre-existing views about their social status that really keeps them from going to the banquet. Their excuses are all about status. My new land, my new oxen, property, my new wife. It's all about status. And then you have the group that in the room that Jesus is sitting, all of those guests show up, but they believe that they're the only ones that should be invited. It's all about their social status. And Jesus is telling them, this is not the kingdom of God party. You, you showed up to something else. You think you know what a party in the kingdom of God looks like, but the reality is you said no to the actual party because the actual party is full of people who you believe their social status would be too low to ever be invited, let alone be allowed in the door. It's like the honored guests in Jesus' parable are saying that the host is not worthy of their attendance. Status. And that's the very thing that Jesus has noticed going on in the room. He's sitting in with the shuffling of the seating arrangements. Status. Let's not overlook who Jesus does invite to the banquet in his parable. The very people of the lowest social status, the social outsiders, the poor, the disabled. The guests that are ultimately invited won't be able to increase the social status of the one giving the party. According to their culture, their social value would actually hurt the host if they attended, would hurt their social status. But here's the kapow in this parable. The banquet that Jesus describes actually shatters the social construct of that time. Jesus not only invites the social outcast to his party, he takes it one step further and says, I'm going to invite anybody. He just threw out their whole system of social status and said, it's not relevant, relevant anymore. That's not how to get invited to this banquet. This banquet will not consider the status systems that you've constructed. Jesus isn't using this parable to try to illustrate a new point to the Pharisees. He wasn't teaching on the kingdom of God and then says, for example, and then goes into some illustration. Jesus is actually calling into question their assumptions about the kingdom of God and what it looks like. In their mind, the kingdom of God uses the same value and sorting system that they have created for their society that they're living in. And Jesus wants to completely dismantle their distorted view of this kingdom. He has to burst their image of what they're sure they know first. And then he can ask them to listen to the truth. Jesus uses this parable as a subtle and even subversive way to help them imagine what the real kingdom of God looks like. 
Now, we may have grown up with these stories, these parables, and heard one message. Make sure you accept the invitation to the banquet and be sure to invite some other people too. And those, those things are great. Those messages are great. But the thing that I don't want us to miss is that we may have intentionally or unintentionally decided who gets that invitation and who doesn't. Whose name is on the guest list? We may have a picture in our head about who is seated at, the bank, at this banquet table and who doesn't make the cut. And I got to tell you, I believe Jesus is using this parable to say to us, hey, if you've done that, if you think that you've got a good picture of who's at the table and where their seating assignment is, you're probably wrong. It doesn't look anything like the way you socially sort people in your life and in your world. That's not how it's done in the kingdom of God. We have a tendency to build up social structures around this parable and other teachings of Jesus for that matter. And because we're human, we're more likely to distort them and make them fit our views. And Jesus is trying to burst this image that we have decided is true about the kingdom of God so that we can really hear his truth about the kingdom of God. Finally, let's take another look at Jesus' invitation list. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. These are the people that Jesus consistently brought into community around him during his ministry. He's telling us that the real banquet the real party is this thing that I'm doing here and now. I like the way Bible, the Bible scholar Tim Mackey says it. Uh, he says it this way. <laughs> it's what Jesus is doing when he's not at this house for this screwed up Sabbath meal. That's, that's what the kingdom of God is. The work that Jesus is doing here and now. And Jesus says the real party isn't at this house. In fact, you're like the people who aren't at the real party and hold on to your hat, guys. The people who are actually at the party, well, they're the very people who you would refuse to invite and to associate with. The point is this, no one deserves or has earned the invitation, not the Pharisees who believe they deserve it, not the guests who decline the invitation for the sake of something they have decided is more important and not even the outcasts, the poor and the sick. No one has earned the invitation and no one but Jesus determines who comes to the banquet. The only thing that matters is if you show up. 
if you choose to receive this radical gift that tears down the old value system of sorting who gets in and who doesn't. So I want to take a couple minutes and ask you some questions. When you close your eyes and think about what the kingdom of God looks like, does the picture include people who disagree with you politically? Are they wearing t-shirts boasting the support of your candidate's opposition? When you think about what the kingdom of God looks like, does it include people who are wearing a face mask as well as those who are not wearing a face mask? Does your picture of the kingdom of God include people who don't look anything like you, who have completely different life experiences than you, who look at the world through a different lens than you do? When you think about the kingdom of God, does it include those you would consider social outcasts? People who have a different social status than you? Because if it doesn't, then you might want to check to make sure God is even at the banquet you're at because you could actually be at the Sabbath meal at the Pharisee's house. If you were to surround Jesus at the table with a cross-section of the good and the bad and the ugly, then chances are anybody that looks at that table would be repulsed by it simply because someone at that table will be someone they think shouldn't be there. Someone is seated at that table that we have decided doesn't belong. You would be passing food to your villain and they'd be passing food to theirs and then to another one of yours. As believers, as followers of Christ, our job is to understand that none of us belong at the table except for God's love and grace. And I invite you guys to bow your heads and pray with me for a moment. God, forgive us for the way that we have sorted a guest list in our heads for your banquet. You've not given us that job. Holy Spirit, open up our eyes and our minds to help us learn through these parables that some of our previously held thoughts and views may need to be dismantled in order for us to understand what you are trying to teach us. God, as we strive to become a community of radically transformed disciples, help us truly make room for those who don't look like us who don't think like us and who don't agree with us always. God, 
help us have a better understanding that being like us was never the goal. The goal is to be more like you. Help us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.